when you record a talking head, it should be like you've had two glasses of wine at a cocktail party where you know 20% of the people there. That would probably work if you're an extrovert, not if you're an introvert like me. I would struggle well, with that. <laughs> you know, I think that's a great way to start off a podcast. <laughs> I think what I'd like to do first, though, is get you to introduce yourself and say a little bit more about what it is that you do. My name is Rick Toon, and I am a, I'm a marketing guy who uses video. What I do is I work with businesses and companies and individuals, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, medium-sized companies, and I help them with their message on the right platforms to the right people by using video. So the video part of it is I had 20 years in Hollywood. I've done over a thousand national commercials, 40 Super Bowls, nominated for an Emmy, have stuff in the Museum of Modern Arts permanent collection. So I, I've spent a few hours on the set with the best people. I got really lucky early and got into the A-list of people doing commercials. What people don't realize, the guy that wins the Academy Award for cinematography and art directing, when they're not on those big movies with Spielberg, they're doing commercials. I have done Kentucky Fried Chicken, Ford, Foster's Beer, Pepsi. I can't even begin to name all of them with the DP that was just nominated for an Academy Award for West Side Story. You know, I've worked with him on 100 commercials. So... I come at it from a, how do you get the best shots to the truth is what do people really need? And that's the big, the big thing with video. It's not the gear. It's what do you need in the moment to get the result that you need? That's what a good video person does for you. Not say, Hey, I got a drone because I really hate that phrase. Yeah, I know the people where I've got a drone. I've got a couple of friends that have got drones and, and then they do video footage and then don't know what to do with it afterwards. Your career is really interesting and really quite diverse as well. I'd love to know more about the journey of how you got to that stage. Well, I've always been in entertainment, so to speak. I fell into doing commercials from entertainment. I started, you know, high school stage in middle school to high school, work with bands through high school. I went to nine proms in my school district, not mine, because I was working everybody else's prom. I would rather have gotten paid $200 for the night than spend $200 for the night. That was my thinking back then. And then I'm going to college. I got a BFA in technical theater and lighting and sound. I got a job doing rock and roll tours. I was at Ronald Reagan's inauguration in 1984 with the Beach Boys. I have worked with... Uh, Almost everybody that was popular in the mid 80s I worked with. I was with Houston's first lighting designer. I did a lot and got bored with that part of it. Was told if you move to LA, we'll give you a job. Move to LA, nobody gave me a job. So being unemployed, the three people I knew in LA that I had gone to college with were all working in film. And I started working on some really bad movies initially as a hat carpenter, which was not my idea, but they paid the bills. And I just, I quickly found that the closer you were to camera, the more money you made. So I quickly moved up to being a prop master. And then I became an art director and I did it for 20 years and it was a perfect career for me. And I absolutely loved it. And well, the biggest takeaway from all that and everything is that no is not an option. Like you always find a way to get the shot. So, I think that's self-employment. <laughs> well, it is. I, you know, my kids that I have two kids and like they, I've, I've never had a full-time job since they've been alive. I haven't had a regular paycheck other than when I worked on a movie or a TV show since 1984. 
because I've just always worked for myself, worked freelance, worked in an industry where you work all the time. And I worked all the time. I didn't have many days off. I was fortunate and I had a great assistance that helped. I had great relationships with people, which is a big key for working in that business. I was not the best at what I did, but I was likable and did a good job and everybody was happy in the end. And that's part of staying employed and doing great video is it's not about the coolest shot. It's about the most effective shot that you can get to tell the message that you're trying to tell for the purpose you're trying to tell it. That makes sense. So how did you go from working with uh, theater and then into film to marketing? Because that doesn't seem like a direct route to me. <laughs> it's not a direct route, but because I did so many TV commercials, I was in so many meetings with the ad people. I mean, we were doing somewhere around 1992 was when the UPC codes came out of grocery stores, right? So they were able to start tracking so we were doing a commercial for Miller Beer, one for Houston and one for Dallas, different bars, different dress on people, different, everything about it was different because we knew that people were different. And because of what I did in the film business, I was involved in those meetings and understood the difference of back then they didn't call them avatars. They just said, who, you know, who this is for kind of thing. But that's really what they were, where they were different avatars for Houston and Dallas for that, the, the middle of the road beer market. And so because of doing that, paying close attention, I got fascinated by it. And then when I left the film business, I moved to start my own company, which was not a huge success, but we were doing interactive children's books. And so this was pre-iPhone and pre-apps. And then when the apps came out, we put them into apps and we had 17 apps in the app store and we were marketing to moms. And I learned a ton about doing social media marketing and we became friends and how you connect with people. And I started teaching classes in social media marketing. I met my now partner and she and I taught a couple of different university classes. We taught other classes and it's just kind of evolved. And then when I went back to shooting film for local businesses, I was able to combine the two of here's what we need to get the shot. Here's what the message needs to be. And here's how we distribute it. So I've kind of put all those things together into a simpler way of doing it because it can be overwhelming for everybody. I want to go back to the work that you did with advertising and creating ads, because I know that you worked on like different lengths of ads as well. And I'm interested in your take on the storytelling element. So I love this question because this is uh, everybody overthinks it, but here's, here's how you don't overthink it. McDonald's does a 60 second commercial. And there's all this stuff. And at the end, it's buy McDonald's and keep your kids happy. They cut that 60 seconds down to 30 seconds. And they tell the same story, just a little bit shorter. They also cut it down to a 15 second, which is actually where the whole thing starts. So in 15 seconds, if you have kids, you'll understand this. Mom's driving. Kids in the backseat screaming. Mom's driving. Kids in the backseat screaming. Mom sees golden arches. Point of view of the golden arches. Car tur turns in, you see the car turning, so you know the car's turned in. You see the person handing them the food. You see mom looking in the rearview mirror of kid eating French fries and smiling, mom's happy. That's a 15 second story. Problem, solution, happy resolve ending. So do you think we make it too complicated? I think a lot of times people make it too complicated. I also, the biggest tip I can possibly give, well, it's not the biggest maybe, but one of the biggest tips is one singular focus. 
Video should have one focus. Don't try to be all things to all people all the time. Make 10 videos if you need to, make 20 videos if you need to, make three videos if you need to, but don't expect the one video to do everything for you and don't try to convince people of one thing. The classic example of that is Ford. Ford's been advertising the F-150 the same way for 30 years. They talk about payload, they talk about towing power, and they talk about family comfort. Three things. Which one do you think actually makes the sale? The family comfort one, because they're talking to usually the mom in the family who controls the money. So if she's happy with the family comfort, the guy can have the towing power and the payload all he wants to. She doesn't care. He's going to go buy stuff and fix the garden and he's going to get a boat and he's going to, he's going to do a whole bunch of stuff. The reality is she's looking at when we get in the truck, this is what we have. And he's looking at the possibilities of the truck. So that buyer journey, which is what I deal with a lot, the buyer journey, the guy's thinking the family knows they need to get something different, blah, 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 blah. They hit the mom with that. And then it comes back down. But what they do is two out of three commercials are for the guy. The one is for the mom because he starts talking it up. He talks it up. He talks it up. He's telling her, he's telling her, but he's telling her all the stuff he wants to tell her because guys have the guy brain thing. So he tells her all this fancy stuff that she could care less about. And she hears the part about family comfort, safety bags, strapping back seat for the kids, safety harness and the car seats, all that kind of stuff. And it's just a easier sell when you know the customer journey than when you just try to throw stuff out there. Can you tell me a little bit more about the customer journey then? All right. <laughs> so depending on who you talk to, there are different stages of the customer journey. The first is awareness, which is the hardest thing. We all have heard the statistics. People have to see something seven times before they buy. Now it may be 13 times because of social media, whatever the number is, it's not just one time to do it. People do research. I'm interested in buying a truck, for example. I'm going to go research the truck. So now they start doing the research. And they're doing all this online without an ad being sent to them. And it's like when they click on something, now they're being tracked, so they're getting served with different ads. That's the way that people with budgets actually market to people, that little thing that follows you around all the time. You know, I mentioned this at dinner last night, and it shows up in your feed, You know, because everything is listening and paying attention to you. That's just being efficient from an advertiser standpoint maybe creepy, but, but the customer journey, you hit people where they are. So some people went, well, by the time that they pick up the phone to call you, they already are interested. How did, how do you do that is a different question because you have to answer a lot of questions first, but it makes you more efficient in your sale. It requires less effort on your salespeople to make a sale. Even if you're the salesperson, because people are now interested in you because they've heard everything they needed to along their journey. Cars, for example, in the U.S., at any given time, 6% of the population is looking to purchase a car. That is the, I'm thinking about it, to I got money in my hand, I'm going to the dealer, somewhere in there. So you've got to figure out those different levels. I usually go with the five, the five levels that are in that section and where are they in that journey and how do you serve them? That's easy for big brands to do. It's harder for solopreneurs, it's harder for coaches or for people that have a photography business because that's a whole different way of approaching it. But you still need to think about it that way, even though you may not have the budget that a Coke or a Ford or somebody has. That's really interesting. Thank you. Is video relevant for any part of the customer journey or would you say that it's more particularly relevant for particular stages? I think... 
I think video is relevant for all stages in the customer journey. However, I will say this, if you are selling, let's say you're selling uh, vegan bread at your little vegan bread shop and you do 20 videos about vegan bread and local people are watching the videos and then they go to another store and they see a sign that says vegan bread and they may buy that bread because you've taught them about vegan bread. So you may not get the sale. So that's the hard part where people want to, what is, what's the return? How do I control this? Well, you can't, and you're not the only person putting out videos on vegan bread, by the way, there's somebody just happened to watch yours to buy somebody else's. So it's a hard thing to say, but one of the things that we teach people all the time is the big question is, I don't know what to do videos about, which falls in line with the customer journey because you want to know what are people searching for? So what are people searching for? You, there's tricks to use Google, there's analytics, there's everything else. But the other thing is, what are the 10 questions people ask you most about your business? That's 10 videos. What are the 10 questions they should ask you about your business? It's 10 more videos. Every video can do at least 20 videos. And of something that you know people are asking all the time. So you're answering those questions. Now, how you how you phrase those, what you title those, that's all the whole backend part of the marketing. But creating the, those videos, it's easy to create the content. The hard part is getting in front of the right people. But people want to complicate it with creating the video and not thinking about part B. One of the first things that, that we teach is strategy, because what we tend to find is that people come to it and just expect to make that video. And they don't think of the big picture of having a marketing strategy or even a video strategy of saying how different things are going to slot in. So they don't have a flow to it and it doesn't make sense. So it's right. the first thing we tackle is to say, OK, you need to see it as part of a much bigger picture to see where this single building block fits in. Yeah, and that's brilliant because people don't think about it that way. So when you watch an ad on TV, there's the product. They hire the agency. The agency comes up with an idea. They hire the production company. The production company hires the people to do it. That goes away. It all gets edited. It goes back to the agency. The agency then determines where does it get put for people to see it? What's the media buy? You know, there's all these, there, there's literally hundreds of people. I mean, the commercials I was doing, we would have 4,200 people on set as just the crew. That wasn't editing. That was just the crew to shoot the thing. It's changed some now. But when you think about that, it sounds overwhelming. But if you put it on strategy, I need to shoot this video for this purpose and I can put it here. That's the whole process just condensed. But if you think about it, I'm, I'm big on 80% of video is thinking about it. It's the planning. It's the planning. What is the video? Who's it going to? And even that you work backwards. Who's going to see it? What return on investment do you want? What response do you want? What kind of engagement do you want? That tells you these factors. So then you know what kind of video to make because you can make many different types of videos. You know, you can be on camera, you can be off camera, it can be live action, it can be in talking head. It can be like, it's infinite. And to determine what video to make, you need to know who it's going to. You need to know what you're trying to say. So all that's in the planning part. And then you also, in the planning part, have an idea how you're shooting it also depends on where you're going to put it. If you're going to put it in social media, you don't need a 4K camera. If you're going to do this, you don't need this. If you're going to just talk to people and you're a coach, I mean, right now I got a simple setup. I have a light, no doubt. 
I have my webcam. I don't even have a fancy camera on this. And I've got a decent microphone, you know, told I've got my computer and a hundred dollars worth of gear. I'm the video guy. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to make it complicated. So I, the big thing is strategy and simplification of all of it, which is also why I like the singular topic, because now you're not trying to write a script that's 14 pages long and nobody can remember it. And, you, you know, it's just simplify. Absolutely. One of the things that I kind of liken video production to is decorating a room because most people come to it and basically they just want to paint or just put the wallpaper up. They don't want to do the prep. But there's so much of it is the prep. And if you strip the walls and fill them and sand them and make them nice, then your final product is going to be much better. And if you do the preparation for creating the videos, the actual creation part of it is so much less overwhelming, especially if you're not a professional. It's really hard to just wing it. You can't just sit down in front of a camera and go, ta-da, and be there because that ends up a train wreck. I, I, I find it laughable only because I did it, but people who they want to do one take or two takes and call it done. Sorry. People go get their masters in acting from NYU and then spend years starving for their craft to learn how to deliver lines. How do you say things? When do you pause? When do you look over here? When do you look here? You know, comedians rehearse their routines a hundred times before they're on HBO and Showtime. They literally Take three steps, look over here. Take two steps, look over here. Take three steps, look back over here. Take two steps, punchline back over here. It's all designed if you watch it. And everything is designed. I mean, before we started recording, I had a box, you know, right over here. I had stuff on the couch over here. And so I just removed it. Often you just remove it. It looks like I'm in a shell. We have a very nice house. But it looks like I'm in the shell of nothing. But you're not being distracted by what is that? What's over there? Why did why is that there? Why would you, what book is that on the shelf back there? I have that book. They're not listening to you when you have all these distractions. So you try to keep it as simple as you can. I mean, mostly what I did was art directing. And the set says a lot about you. I, I told you that I had art directed a um, holistic pet chiropractor was doing some webinars. And so I literally through Zoom, we set it up and it's like, okay, turn the little doggy statue sideways so we can see the profile because from his face, you can't see it and get rid of those papers because they're just clutter. And, you know, we spent an hour doing this, having him walk around and remove everything. And he goes, wow, I never knew. I said, well, you wouldn't, but it removes the clutter. So they're paying attention to you now and not the background. I'm huge on the background, by the way. I think I was looking all four corners. Yeah, it's a really important point because I remember being a guest on a podcast and I wasn't told until I was actually on that it was going to go out live to YouTube and a couple of other places as well. And I thought, that's okay, I can cope with that. So we're about 15 minutes in and I glance over my shoulder and realized I have clean washing folded up on the radiator. And I was mortified and I thought, it's okay, he'll take me off screen in a minute and I'll remove it. And he didn't take me off screen for an hour. And I think I just got redder and redder and redder throughout that process. So I am so careful now. And I was careful before, but I'm really careful now. Yeah, I am. I am careful, but I'm not to the point that I get too carried away about it. I mean, yes, the cardboard box was, did bother me. So I got rid of it, but you know, but it's paying attention to all the things. The, the, the thing that separates okay video from great video is the hundred little things. And honestly, most people are not going to 
think about all those hundred little things, but there are a few key things that you can do. You know, sound is another huge one. So when you hear the trash truck going by, just pause, do another take. So you don't get that sound in there. When the dog is barking upstairs, you know, just wait, the dog will stop. And these are the little things that make video better and that make it more watchable and listen, listen, listenable. How do you say that? <laughs> uh, because you're not going to be perfect. You, you're not trained to do this. I am not a psychologist, but I can make a psychologist look great on video, but I don't know all the things they know. So, and the reverse, they're not going to help teach me video, but they're going to solve my problems, you know? So take it for what it is. I'm also a big believer that it's not about the gear. People always want to know the gear, the gear, the gear, the gear. What, what do you use? What do you use? What do you, I, 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 I'm not going to tell you what I use, even though I know, because it's not, it doesn't matter. What matters more is your message, who it's delivered to and how it's delivered. There's some great tips there already, but what I'd like to know is what tips we would give to somebody who's just starting out in video. Your video, do, do a video. Don't look at it. Do it again. Don't look at it. Do it again. By the third time, you'll start to feel what you're saying and your cadence, and you'll realize the mistakes that you're making. Understandable. We write differently than we talk. So when you're typing, you type out different words, and when you're reading, it's different than when you're actually talking it. And as you go through this exercise, you will pay attention to the words you say, and I'm not talking about the ums and the ahs, you'll catch those too, but it's other phrasing that you use that you think, oh, I don't write it that way. And you just become a better communicator and don't be afraid to do multiple takes. It's not on your permanent record. Nobody knows it's there. You can delete it. The beauty part about today's world is you can delete it. And, you know, when you're using film, like it costs money to process that. It costs it, it, everything to cost then. Today's world, it costs nothing to do it over. And you're not going to be perfect. So don't do a hundred takes. Although I did do 50 takes with Kevin Costner one time saying three words, but you're not trying to do that. What you're trying to do is be honest, truthful, say what you're saying, do what you're doing, shoot your video and have the right message that you want people to understand. Just be clear, concise, and good enough. We all live with YouTube and Facebook and everything else. And that's where we're watching stuff and people are scrolling through and do they want us to watch you? Do they not? You know, it's hard to get people's attention. So when you do make sure you're giving them the information they want and not wasting their time. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. One of the things that I like is the way that things have changed over the last 30 years. Cause when I did my training, if I had done jump cuts, I'd have been slapped and told to do it again. And so things were a lot more, easy now a lot more loose and I think part of it is because technology has come a long way and it means that even if you have a jump cut it actually doesn't jar in the same way as it did when we were I was working on SVHS so it, it doesn't feel as jerky and I think we're probably a lot more tolerant now of um, video makers being anybody and everybody and not just the professionals it's been a hard thing for me to come to terms with <laughs> being, being so uh, working in on the sets in Hollywood, being so perfect about everything. And then you see this, stuff. I hated YouTube when it first came out, absolutely 
hated it. It was crap. The stuff looked bad. The people were bad. Everything about it was bad, in my opinion. And now here we are, however many years later, you know, now I don't, it doesn't even phase me. I don't think about it. I see these little, you know, spiffy little influencers who do all these little videos. I, I live in, um, on the Caribbean, in the Caribbean in Mexico, and you see all these people come to town and they want to show you how great this town is and their little videos with their drones and their this and their that. And I can't watch most of them because I think they're horrible, but they get views and people like them. So my opinion is my opinion. So we have to learn to understand that, yeah, those things are easy and jump cuts on your iPhone, you shoot on your phone, you go click, 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 and you just delete and you don't worry about making something match. I mean, in our day, we would push in, you push out, you, you have a dissolve, you do something to make it smooth. And that's just not what people watch these days or care about. It's not a thing. I think it's sad in a way because they've taken some of the art away from it, but everything is not art, I guess. I think there's some um, tremendous video creators out there, though, because the technology is so much lighter and I've got more processing power in my iPhone than I did in the cameras that I was using. So I can do movement in a more fluid way than I could have ever managed with a 50 pound camera. Oh, it's uh, it's so amazing what you can do these days. There's times where I think, ah, I wish I were in Hollywood now because it's so different. But then I think ah, it's a lot more running. It's a lot more hustle because everything is possible. You know, I mean, the, the cameras just are stunning what they do, but the equipment is amazing in what they do. I remember talking to um, the DP who did Schindler's List, uh, not Schindler's List, the same guy, uh, uh, Band of Brothers maybe, that they did. And they, they were had the camera on the beach and they spent $100,000 to create a mechanical device to shake the camera to look like a shaky cam thing. And then they were filming it and I don't know, it broke, the battery died, electricity ran out. There was, there was something that happened. So the key grip said, oh, fine. And so he just took his hands and he just started pouncing on the uh, magazine for the film. And they did it. They got the dailies back and his stuff looked way better than the mechanical thing they were using. So from that point on, they just kept calling him in to use his hands every time they needed anything. And now you can do all that. You know, there's a filter in Premiere that you can do the shaky cam, you can do this, you can do that. And so now you can shoot without thinking about all these things because there's so much of it you can do in post-production. And I'm not saying fix it in post, but I am saying that post-production can really help you when you think ahead of what you really want. Yeah, absolutely. And we were saying before how as an editor, I don't like being given footage that's not been thought through because right. it makes my job really, really difficult. But if I get work that's been well-planned, well thought through, it's an absolute delight to put it together and do that finishing polish to get it so it's done. Yeah, you want five good things to choose from instead of, oh, this one will do. <laughs> yes. Oh dear, do I have to? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a, but it's a very different mindset. I mean, I always say shoot for the edit, you know, it's all these little things. Again, it's you shoot for the edit. You do that in the prep. If you prepped it right, then you shoot it right. Then the editing falls into place. So then your big hurdle is who to send it to, who to target it to, which is everybody's hardest dilemma. The creating is fun. The shooting is fun. The editing is creative. And now we can actually got to market it. 
And then it's, you know, well, I put it out. Nobody saw it. I put it out. Nobody commented. How many times did you put it out? Where did you put it out? Did you pay to put it out or do you do it through an organic? Like these are the real factors that make a difference on the ROI of a video, but they're not the same thing as making a video. So I really try to separate the two things in what I do is there's the creating the video uh, and then there's the marketing of the video. And honestly, a lot of what I do is writing scripts for people. They just don't think about how that can be done. I have one client, she gets 500,000 people a month to her website. They shoot video, but they don't think about it. It's always an afterthought. And when I said, why don't I give you a script? Here's an outline. Here's what every video needs to have. She's like, oh my God, we have never thought about it like this. And it's like, you've got 500,000 people a month coming to your site. You could be making so much more money is how I think about it. If you just converted these people to buyers to put them in your email list to do something. But that, that wasn't a thing. And so now that's been instated. It's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you today. Um, I think I think you're probably the first fellow video professional video educator that I've had a conversation with as part of the, the um, podcast. So it's uh, it's been really lovely. Um, how can people connect with you? Uh, the easiest way is to go to my website, shootbettervideo.com. Um, you can just always shoot me an email at rick at shootbettervideo.com. I'm everywhere at Rick Toon, everywhere at Shoot Better Video. Uh, I believe I'm giving you an ebook that you can send out to people. Uh, that's a free ebook that talks about the five no cost ways to make to look like a pro on video, which I think makes a big difference. Um, I mean, I could sit down and talk to you all day because you know you're just a blast to talk to. And we had conversations before this, and even to the point that you know I listened to one of your podcasts yesterday on my morning walk, and so I'm sitting in a stationary chair today, not instead of a swivel chair. You'll know what that means. Uh, because, it, but it's true, you know, it's, it's these little things. So I have a chair that has a, a stool and a little back on it this high. So I sit up straight because when you lean back, it forces you to sit up straight. Cause normally I'm like this all the time, you know, I just kind of lean into stuff, but to, I'm, I'm in the right chair for the right purpose. And it's these little things that people just, they just don't know. Yeah. It's not that they do things wrong. They just don't know. And, you know, you've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for a while. So you, all these, all these years of stuff in your brain, but I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. No, thank you so much. If anybody needs anything, give a shout. Perfect. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. Thank you for listening to the Video Production Academy podcast or watching it if you're viewing us on YouTube. I'm Lee Midlane and I've been your host for this episode. If you'd like more information, resources or free downloads, head over to the Video Production Academy at www.videoproductionacademy.co.uk. Reach out if you have any questions, queries or comments and subscribe to hear more inspiring conversations with business owners just like you who've built their business using video. Until next week, shoot for the moon. Yeah.